Welcome to the Revolutionary Health Podcast. I am your host, Stephanie Center. I am a licensed clinician in search of how to live a meaningful and healthy life. I challenge both traditional and functional medicine ideologies in search of truth and wisdom. I allow room for curiosity and always keep an open mind. I enjoy deep conversations with my guests, giving them a safe space to share their research and personal observation, as I feel both equally contribute to the body of knowledge and human experience. Note that the opinions of my guests do not always reflect my own, whether I share that openly or not. And of course, the podcast is for educational purposes only. We do not offer medical advice. So grab a cup of coffee and join me for some intimate and unique discussions about finding wellness in the 21st century. Hello, welcome to Revolutionary Health. I am your host, Stephanie Center. Today, we are diving into the hot topic of acne. So many people struggle with acne and it's not a new problem. In fact, I was reading about the history of acne and there were sources dating back to the 1500s of physicians describing patients with what we call acne today. And I will include a link to that article in the show notes if you're interested in learning more about the history of acne. But what I think is so interesting is although we've known that this is an issue for potentially hundreds of years, we obviously haven't solved the problem yet because it is still the most common skin condition that people face today, at least in the United States it is. Now I've read various statistics on this, so I will refer to the American Academy of Dermatology Association, and it says that over 50 million Americans suffer from acne and that 85% of people ages 12 to 24 experience at least minor acne. And just because I think it's important to know the context of, of statistics for that first figure, the 50 million Americans, that is from a paper in 2004. So I expect that it is an underestimate of the actual number of people uh, who suffer from acne today. And also that 85% figure comes from the British Journal of Dermatology in 2013. So that is also a bit dated and is not specific to the United States. Today, we are going to look at acne from a new perspective. My guest, Brandy Searcy, has a really interesting educational background that allows her to have this really multifaceted approach to acne, and she is able to tell us how we might be getting it wrong when it comes to skincare from a chemical perspective. I've probably been to over a dozen dermatologists in my lifetime, and none of them have been able to explain the problem quite like Brandy. So when I was a teen, I guess I was part of that 85% who experienced acne. Now it wasn't like super bad, but it was noticeable enough to me for it to affect my self-esteem. And I remember actually remember my mom taking me to multiple dermatologists and I'll never forget. One of them told me that I didn't have a problem and goodness. If there is, if you are a physician listening, if there's one thing I could humbly ask of you, if a patient comes to you with a problem, listen to them because that, that is probably honestly the one, the number one thing that has kind of turned me away from Western medicine. I feel like anytime I have a problem, uh, I remember going through this when I had um, digestive issues and when I had hair loss, those are three different types of doctors and three different occasions in which I was told that I didn't have a problem, but I was coming to them specifically for a problem. Um, so when you're not taken seriously, I think that that really deters people from seeking medical attention. Like it did me. I stopped going to doctors because they weren't listening to me. I remember that one dermatologist put me on two different topical creams that completely dried out my skin. Oh my God. It was so awful. So when you have acne, you, you want to cover it up with makeup, right? Uh, but when you're using these topical creams that make your skin so dry, 
makeup looks really cakey. It doesn't look good on your skin. And, you know, long story short, the reason I was breaking out was not because I was too oily, but the remedy that I was given was something to dry out my skin. I had one dermatologist who put me on a combination of hormonal birth control and spironolactone, which did absolutely nothing for me. The, I guess the basis of that. So hormonal birth control is to help it's supposedly, now this is not actually true. It's supposed to help regulate hormones. Um, we know that that is false now. Um, and spironolactone is interesting. It's a, it's a drug for hypertension. Um, but if you give it in low doses, supposedly has an anti androgenic effect. Again, it didn't work for me because the root cause of my acne was not excess androgens. I am not androgenic, but nobody ever tested that. Right. So, so we, I was given medications before being tested. Do I lean towards the five alpha reductase when I metabolize testosterone or do I, am I leaning more towards etiocalalone? Like nobody ever tested that. I didn't even know what those words were back then. Um, so that's, that's kind of a, an area or an opportunity for growth in the, the traditional medical system is, Hey, maybe let's test some things before we just slap medications on people because medications aren't harmless, right? They, they do come with side effects. And, um, had I known what I know now, I, I wouldn't have taken either of those drugs. And finally, when I was in my early twenties, I succumbed to Accutane and I, if I have any regrets in life, doing Accutane is probably in my top five, because to this day, I feel like I have chronically chapped lips again, sweat glands weren't the issue for me, uh, in, in the root cause of acne. And that's why none of these options worked for me because they didn't address the root cause of why I was experiencing it in the first place. And I even asked one of the physicians and mind you, this is before I knew anything about nutrition or elimination diets, but I asked, could it be something I'm eating? And this, this doctor point blank told me, oh, food has no effect on your skin. I mean, wow. Right. And the medical community is confused by me challenging their beliefs. Why for me? Acne was 100% food related. And now here's where I want to challenge you to dig a little deeper because it doesn't stop there, right? Food intolerance isn't the answer. Food intolerance is not the root cause of acne. Leaky gut and toxic overload of the liver is why I had acne because they contributed to food intolerances. A healthy person doesn't have food intolerances. I'll say that again. A healthy person does not have food intolerances. So if you're listening and you can name a few foods that you don't do well with, and I'm not talking about like ultra processed glyphosate contaminated foods, I'm talking about real whole foods, then you are not at the root of your issues. You have more delving to do because healthy people should be able to tolerate a variety of foods. And this is why I educate, educate, educate on environmental toxins because it all stems back to cellular health. A symptom is the last thing to occur in a disease process. So if you have acne, that is the symptom. You have to peel back the layers of that onion to understand what is happening. And then you have to go back and unlearn what you were taught about health because what you were taught about health is probably inaccurate which is the whole purpose of this podcast to challenge what we think we know in search of real solutions to chronic health problems. So today we're going to learn about the root causes of acne, your skin's six main needs, how we got the exfoliation piece wrong. We exfoliate the wrong layer of skin the biases of Western medicine that have, we have to let go in order to truly heal our skin. Brandy talks about, um, this beautiful image of not looking at your skin as a battlefield, but something working with your skin. 
I'm totally just butchered that, but she has a beautiful, you'll hear her. It's a beautiful analogy. Uh, we're going to learn what safe skincare products actually look like. There's a lot of greenwashing that happens in the skincare world. And so you're going to know, you're going to leave this conversation with some strong knowledge on, on what a safe product looks like. Um, you're going to learn how you can take control of your skin health. And at the end, we recorded this, um, I think towards the end of summer, beginning of fall. And of course, sunscreen is a hot topic when it comes to skincare. So we're going to end with some fun facts about why the FDA is reclassifying 14 of the 16 currently um, generally regarded as safe approved ingredients in sunscreen this year and information about the two remaining ingredients. And this information will probably surprise you. Let me introduce my guest, founder of Rain Organica, which in my opinion is the cleanest and most effective skincare products that exist, Brandy Searcy. Well, hey, Brandy, it's so good to have you on the show. I've been a fan of yours for quite some time now. Um, you are a entrepreneur, you are a product developer, you have this really cool chemical engineering background, and you are saving the world one skin at a time. Um, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about your, I think you just have a really unique and interesting background with like how you got to where you are today. Can you kind of walk us through your history, your education, and then what, what it is that you do? Well, thank you so much for that glowing introduction, Stephanie. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad to be here today. I feel like the feeling is definitely mutual because I have been an avid fan of yours now for a few months mm -hmm. and Sure. I'd love to dive in and talk about my background. So basically during my teens and twenties, I struggled with acne and my mom is a registered nurse. So in being the good mother that she is, she took me, I grew up in South Georgia. She took me to basically every dermatologist recommended in the Southern half of the state to try to figure out what could be done to keep my acne at bay. So I went through the entire gamut of Western medicine treatment for acne. This included topicals like benzoyl peroxide. It included topical antibiotics that included mm. oral antibiotics that included light therapy. I wound up on a course of Accutane. And here's where I should say my acne, I, I did not have cystic acne. However, I had acne to the point where it was definitely messing with my self-confidence and I already had no self-confidence as a mm. teen. And it was also one of those things as a type A person, I felt like I couldn't control. And that would just, I'd wake up, I'd look in the mirror, I'd see new, a new zit and I would be on the verge of tears. And so I wound up going on Accutane in the middle of that course with Accutane. I stopped mid-course and it wasn't because I was having significant side effects. It was because I was having side effects that scared me. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I decided to do a 180 with how I treat my skin and start treating my skin as a part of me rather than as a canvas to wage war on, because really our skin is an organ to be loved. And so often with how we're trained to think from a Western medicine standpoint is we can go in and just wage war on it. And that's really not the case. I mean, it is not a battleground. I love that. I love that mindset. Goodness. That's, that's a new perspective for me, a battleground versus no, this is a part of me. Um, so yeah. What, where did you go from there? What did you end up doing? Well, so this was in the early 2000s. I was in college at the time. And by early 2000s, we're talking like 2002, 2003. I was still in college. Um, I, this was early days of the internet. I would literally spend hours in a store standing there, staring at the back of product labels, going down through the ingredients wow. list. And inevitably I'd find one ingredient that either I knew was going to cause me to break out, or I would find an ingredient that I knew to be photosensitizing or something else that I didn't want on my skin. So to say that shopping for skincare was a chore is an understatement. And I, I did this for 
I, so I wound up finding some products that I didn't hate and that I was willing, <laughs> that I was willing to use on my skin and just kind of limped by for a few years, basically. It wasn't until 2008 when I started making my own skincare. And by 2008, what had happened, I graduated, I'd tried to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And I wound up with a job in formulation development. And this is an entire field that I had no idea even existed when I was coming through college. It's not an area that you can readily get a degree in. To my knowledge, there's still only one university. It, okay, there may be more than one now, but at least at the time, to my knowledge, there was only one university in the US for a long time that offered a, a degree in formulation development. And that was something I didn't figure out until probably 2010 or so. Um, so anyway, in 2000, about 2007, I landed my first job in formulation development. And from there, I was like, wow, okay, with this knowledge, I can start making my own skincare. And so that first job in formulation development for me was in pesticide formulation development. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> however, all of the principles still apply. I know you think how on earth could pesticide formulations possibly tie into skincare formulations, but a bunch of the concepts are the same. It, because it's all yeah. how to how to stabilize oil and water um yeah so so it's yeah it dives off and it, it dives off into the geeky sciencey part of it but anyways with that newfound information for my job I started making my own skincare on the side and I've pretty much been making my own skincare since 2008 that's amazing that's so neat. And you have like the most beautiful glowing skin. So clearly it, it's working. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> so, so you, I know you have, a, okay. So maybe not a formulation background, but you do have a chemical engineering background. So you do understand how chemicals interact with each other and relate to each other. <laughs> Okay, so you would think that you would learn that with a chemical engineering background. Really, chemical engineering is much more movement of fluid through pipes and like heat transfer and all of this kind of stuff. So it wow. wasn't. So, yes, I have a degree in, in chemical engineering. Basically, I graduated in 2004 and then I spent about a year at it. Um, I actually worked at the CDC for a year and then I wound up deciding that I was going to go back to school and get a a degree, uh, get a PhD in organic synthesis. And that's where oh, all of the oh. chemical stuff really comes to head. Cause during that year, when I was working at the CDC, I was working cause I still didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And I was still, um, working with one of my undergraduate professors on just, it was really just a literature research project on, okay, how would you synthesize this anti-cancer compound? And so I was doing like all this research at night and I was like, this stuff's pretty interesting. I think I'm going to go back to school and get a PhD in this. Maybe this is what I want to do. So I wound up, um, yeah, enrolling in a PhD program. I completed about a year. I'm a PhD dropout. Um, so, so I am a college dropout sort of, but anyways, um, I, I, however, I married in a synthetic organic chemist and I, and still in that year, I learned enough, like, yes, as a chemical engineer, I took organic synthesis in college. However, it's one thing to, I feel like as you grow, like how you learn changes. And for me, I want to say how you learn changes. How I've always learned is by moving through something and really understanding the depths of it. And I feel like when I was moving through organic chemistry during college, I spent a lot more time trying to memorize than necessarily learn the, the underlying concepts. And then when I enrolled in the PhD program and started moving through the courses, some of those really, I internalize some of those concepts. And so it's easier now. I'm still by no means really good at looking at a molecule and saying, okay, this is, this is how it was synthesized. My husband's good at that. I am not, um, but I can, at least when I look at a molecule kind of know, okay, these are the reactive pieces of it. This might be how, and then know enough to, to 
research more about how it was made and you know what potential side products are and all this kind of thing. So I think that's a long-winded answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> so so as somebody who has experienced acne and you're on, you're clearly on the other side of it, what what changed for you? Like what, what do you look for in like, what are some products that you feel like exacerbate or chemicals that exacerbate acne? And and what do you, you know, purposefully keep out of your products? So with acne, I think one of the things that we're led to believe also is that we have a problem with cellular turnover and that our cells aren't turning over fast enough. And I think the problem, the problem with that idea mm-hmm. is that yes, there's a problem with cellular turnover, but it's not where we think it is. So like we're, we're so trained, okay, just put an exfoliate on your skin and that will help your acne. And oftentimes it makes acne worse. And I mm-hmm. think we're kind of treating the wrong piece of the whole exfoliation process. We're trying to treat it topically rather than treating it more deeply mm-hmm. because there are, there are ingredients. Niacinamide is one that work kind of at a deeper level, they're basically encouraging cellular turnover from that, from, from that lowest epidermal layer, that stratum basal layer, and encouraging cellular turnover that way up to the surface. I think a lot of time, because the, it's like the keratinocytes, they do get sticky and they do have a problem shedding, but then we're just yeah, I, I just, I feel like every time we're using it, spooling, it's a couple of things that we're doing. We're inflaming the skin, which is mm-hmm. a huge problem with acne. And then we're also, and part of, along with that inflammation comes irritation. And then also, I really just feel like it's trying to treat it too superficially rather than deeper lying where we need to be treating it. Um, so over exfoliation, I'm actually a huge and overstripping the skin of our natural oils is another thing. So mm. I'm actually a huge proponent of using a much gentler cleanser than what most of us would consider. Well, okay. A much gentler cleanser than say soap so that we're not stripping mm. those oils. We're not stripping that natural sebum production or that natural sebum within our skin and yet we're still cleansing our skin. So it's almost like when it comes to exfoliation and acne, it's too superficial. When it comes to cleansing, we've got this mindset of going deeper and we kind of need to shift those so that we're cleansing superficially and we're exfoliating deeper. Oh, interesting. So I can totally identify with that. I feel like that's kind of the biggest shift. The other thing that I, so a lot of people resort to the retinol and I just know for me personally, because I experimented for a few years with using retinol, I would add retinol into the products that I was making. And I just know for me, it over the course of say six months to a year, my skin would get extremely dry and extremely red. And I don't feel Mm -hmm. like retinol. I mean, I am, I, I realize this is a completely different opinion from what most of the skincare industry says. I am not a proponent for daily retinol use, period. So instead, I think there are much gentler ways to encourage that deeper exfoliation. And again, um, using gentler ingredients throughout is one of those. So I feel like that's the biggest avoiding inflammatory products of any kind. So this would primarily be photosensitizers, anything that, you know, you're allergic to. And also the thing that even though it's not comedogenic, I do not like silicone on my skin. And this one is a really hard one to avoid because most of our makeups have silicone in it as well. The reason I don't like silicone is because I often feel that using a product with silicone, even if it doesn't necessarily promote acne, it's still promoting kind of this congested appearance instead of this bright, healthy, glowing appearance. Mm. You've said a lot of things that I want to dive deeper into. <laughs> okay. So I, I, I'm really interested in what you have to say about retinol because I feel the same way. 
And I do not, I, I can't tell you how many dermatologists I've been to that have been like, you need to use, you know, um, you know, so-and-so's retinol. Like, do you have, what are your thoughts? Or I don't, I don't know if you have thoughts on this, but like I get retinol through food. Like I try to consume foods with retinol and vitamin A. I have a, a similar background to you. My skin was super congested in high school and uh, even in college some. And for me, like when I eliminated just cow's milk, like regular dairy, that really cleared things up just for me. And I know everybody is different and it's not a one size fits all. And I know that also cow's milk has a lot of retinol and vitamin A. So I have to find other ways, but I just kind of wonder what your thoughts are on, because you're in an industry where you promote, you know, clean, healthy skin. Do you, do you also consider like addressing skin from the inside out? Like, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts there? I love that you asked this question. (laughs) This, because this ties in with my philosophy that skincare is basically a topical diet for your skin. And it is a continuation of your, of what you're feeding your body. So yes. Um, to me, the purpose of skincare is to, okay, well, okay. If we were to think about skincare, just like a diet for your skin, and then here's like your body on this side. So we know that feeding our body too much food too high a caloric intake is bad for us. And I think it's the same way with skincare. You don't want to overfeed your skin. Mm. And by that, like when I say overfeed, you don't want to use products that contain junk, like just junk food for it. And then also it's just like, well, you wouldn't overconsume. I mean, you could, you could basically name, like you wouldn't overconsume red meat, you wouldn't overconsume sugar. So yes. So some of these ingredients that we used on our skin can be the same way where they're fine in small amounts, but they're not good in larger quantities. And I know retinol in particular, I just feel like it's too aggressive to be used topically. And I tend to agree with you. I think it's better to just get vitamin A internally. There are a few vitamins that I recommend for topical application. And one of those is vitamin C because our Mm -hmm. bodies don't make vitamin C and vitamin C is such an incredible antioxidant. And despite the fact that our bodies don't make it, it's still like one of the most abundant um, antioxidants in our skin. So even though our bodies don't make it. So I feel like we need that. And oftentimes the antioxidants work synergistically with each other and they help Mm. to basically resurrect each other after they've been, um, after they've been oxidized. So, so yes, I feel like vitamin C is one that we definitely want to apply topically. Vitamin E is another great one, just because vitamin E is oil soluble instead of water soluble. It's also an antioxidant. Vitamin A is one that I just don't see the, I haven't found the benefit personally. And I have tried, I've tried a couple, I've tried formulating with a couple of different vitamin A derivatives. I've tried formulating kind of across the concentration range, and I can't find a concentration low enough that where I didn't wind up with this dry flaky skin and redness with using Mm. the product. So I just don't recommend vitamin A topically. Interesting. Yeah. I, so I have, I have no chemistry background whatsoever. I'm just your, your lay person when it comes to chemicals, but this is really validating for me because when I was just moseying through, you know, the whole foods market, I, instead of picking up Cause like you, it, like I just, I would get, and this was, you know, before the times of like think dirty and like when you had those apps where you could check things, right. Cause I'm, I'm old too. And, um, <laughs> I picked up vitamin E just straight up vitamin E in a glass bottle. And that to me made a huge difference in just, I, and I think I, just again, personally speaking, I think my skin was so dried out from things like the topical treatments getting from the dermatologist, like re- retinol, like that stuff just wrecked me. 
And this was like, I put a couple of drops of lavender in it, I think. And I just, it was so calming. And I was like, okay, this is so, this is so simple. Why did I make something so simple, so complicated by using all of these products with all of these ingredients? That I can't even pronounce half of them. And it, you know, it's just, it's a hard thing for a normal person to navigate. It's a really hard thing. And while I'm grateful for things like Think Dirty and the Environmental Working Group app now that we have, you know, some sort of guidance, it's, it's still, it's still overwhelming sometimes. It is absolutely overwhelming. And honestly, that is why I started Rain Organica. And that is why I spent so much time in developing each one of the products, because at its core, Rain Organica is really just three products, a cleanser, a toner, and a moisturizer. And that moisturizer, you can use both day and night. And I spent a ton of time really thinking about the formula for each one, spent a ton of time in product development, because what I wanted at the end of the day for each one of those was a product that you could use regardless of your skin type. So it doesn't matter if you have oily, dry, combo, sensitive skin, doesn't matter. You can use this product and also really concentrating on the ingredients to keep out as many common allergens as possible. So this included because so many people have allergies to tree nuts and when you cold press the oil, it is possible, although unlikely, but it's still possible that you can pull some of that protein material mm. over into it because it is cold pressed instead of solvent extracted. Mm. So this was, this was something else, just looking at every single ingredient and trying to make a product. And, and honestly, this is one of the reasons why there aren't essential oils in the face in the facial products. In the body care, people have options of either essential oil free or fragranced with essential oils. In the facial care, I myself struggle a lot with, with fragrances and especially like, mm. and even essential oils, and especially when they're on my face and I'm smelling them all day long or getting whiffs of them throughout the day, it just oftentimes triggers headaches. Wanted to avoid that. Yeah. I mostly love essential oils. However, they're extremely powerful. And it's one of those things where just based on, based on my research, we don't necessarily want to use the same ones over and over day in and day out. We kind of want to mix it up sometimes and to make a product that I really want people, because I'm of the mind that once you find something that works for you, you can continue to use it for the rest of your life, like for as, for as long as necessary. You don't have to switch up. People will say, oh, well, your skin has different needs at different ages. That may be true if we go back over to that idea that skincare is like your diet your body doesn't necessarily have different dietary, like one basic diet throughout your life is sufficient. You can get, I mean, if you're, if you're eating what you need, your dietary changes don't necessarily change throughout your life at certain times in your life. You need you. I mean, some of us and some of us, like if we have autoimmune conditions and this kind of thing, yes, we need more, vitamin B, we need more vitamin D. Our, our bodies are, each one of us is unique. However, at our core, once we find what works for us, we can use it for our entire lives. And this is kind of what I wanted to develop in this skincare is, okay, I want a product that is going to work for as many people to be as universal as possible, work for as many people as possible. So you just think about that in terms of diet, what would that look like? from a food standpoint, what would be gluten-free, it would be dairy-free, it would be egg-free, it would be this, it would be that. So then for skincare, it's okay, it needs to be vegan. Let's avoid let's avoid tree nuts, let's avoid essential oils, let's avoid yeah. some of these other ingredients. So that was kind of the mindset behind product development. If you're in my community, you know how passionate I am about educating others on the harmful effects of glyphosate and the many ways that it impacts our health. This impressive and destructive molecule disrupts our microbiome. It diminishes our innate immune system 
And it even impairs the way we make protein and antioxidants, you know, because it acts as a glycine, but I'll get into that some other time. For me, consuming or trying to consume a 100% organic and diverse diet hasn't been enough for me to heal my gut. This is where Ion Gut Support comes in. This product has made a profound impact on my personal health, as well as the clients I serve. Ion is something everyone can benefit from using because none of us are protected from exposure to glyphosate. It's in our rainwater. It's in the air we breathe. Glyphosate is ubiquitous. When it comes to the gut, we all need the same foundational support. Nature's intelligent. Her beauty lies in her ability to seamlessly provide unique assistance to each of us. But her intelligence is at war with chemicals, you know, like glyphosate, <laughs> that continually impact our health. Old and young, men and women, pets and humans alike. In order to target individual health, we need to first address the source. And that's why I use ION. ION works by fostering communication at a cellular level. It provides the foundation for the immune system to function, nutritional wellness, and digestive support that we all need. So head on over to intelligenceofnature.com and you can use the code holistic house for a free three ounce bottle with the purchase of a 32 ounce bottle. The three ounce bottle is perfect for traveling. And I, I recommend keeping it when you used it all and refill it and then take that with you when, whenever you're traveling. To me, that's arguably when you need eye on the most. So what you'll do is you'll put both the 32 ounce and the three ounce bottles in your cart, and then you'll apply the code holistic house, all one word. I cannot say enough positive things about this product. Not only do I take this before each meal, I diffuse it in my home. I've even created a, a really cool scalp tonic with it. This is a very gentle way to create balance in your body, and it's safe for children, adults, and even your pets. Again, that's intelligenceofnature.com, and your code for a free three-ounce bottle is Holistic House. When you try this product, send me a message and share your experience with me. Some of you have already done that, and I love hearing from all of you. It brings me so much joy to witness us all getting healthier together. Okay, back to the show. Wow. <laughs> and I, let me, I feel like I need to back up and say, I put the lavender in my E because my skin was so angry from using those products. I don't put it in anymore, but that, I mean, I, I love this kind of metaphor you're using about, you know, treating the skin like like you're feeding the body because, um, yeah, it's not like, oh, you've turned 57. You can't have strawberries anymore. <laughs> right. Exactly. No, you still, you still need, um, you know, strawberries are high in vitamin C. I mean, we know that strawberries are good for us, but yeah, that's such an, I love that. I love, well, and I've tried your products and they're all wonderful. I mean, I like, I, obviously I wouldn't be <laughs> talking to you if I wasn't such a huge fan, but I, I really, um, they're, they're really soothing. They're really soothing. And, um, I, I like you, I don't like my things on my face to have a smell because I will, I will also get a headache. So I, I am appreciative of that. You have ingredients in your products that I haven't seen in other places. And you've kind of already talked about one and I'm going to mispronounce it, but it, it does the deep exfoliation. Can you talk about some of your, I just think, I think that for me, that's what sets you apart is you have carefully selected things that I just don't see other places. And I, and I really like, I'm of course a fan of your, your mission and your vision and your values, but I'm also a fan of the products you've created. So if you could talk a little bit more about, um, some things that you've included to really reach every, to really help people. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I feel like our skin has six main needs and the most important of those is to protect your skin. And that, that should be paramount in everybody's mind, because that is just going to help so much throughout your life. And so for that reason, 
the products really focus on including antioxidants and other ingredients that are, have been shown to protect. So I've mentioned vitamin C already. In addition to that, I'm a huge fan of some of these skin peptides. I tend to use two that are protective against the effects of UV that's been demonstrated that they actually help protect. One of those two help protects DNA. The other one is a little bit more complicated in the way that it works, but it's still shown to uh, protect skin cells against environmental stressors and against the effects of UV. So I'm a huge proponent of those. And then the other thing, most oftentimes what you'll see kind of throughout the products is anti-inflammatory ingredients and soothing ingredients, like you mentioned. So cucumber and rose hydrosol or distillate. So it, this is basically during essential oil production, the distillate is the water portion that comes off during the, during the, um, during the distillation of the essential oil. So it has the, basically the rose hydrosol is richer in some of the water soluble compounds of the, of the rose. So it would be vitamin C. They have just a touch of some of the same kinds of compounds that are in the essential oils, but to a far lesser extent, because it's actually like what is soluble in water, which is just a teeny tiny fraction of what is actually in the essential oils. And that also imparts both the rose and the cucumber distillates impart just this really nice natural scent to the toner. You can't really, I feel like you can't really smell it very much in the, in the lotion um, or the cleanser, but you can in the toner, it really carries. The other thing that Rain Organica uses is plant-based emulsifiers instead of petroleum-based emulsifiers. So this would be, for example, instead of peg sterate, it would be ceteral alcohol or glycerol monosterate. And glycerol monosterate is also synonymous with glycerol sterate. Um, it would be some of your ceteral olivates. And all of these are, they are necessary for making the oil and water mix. So for actually making that lotion look like a lotion. And for me, what I found because I tried for a while just using straight oils on my face and that, that would often lead me to break out. So I wasn't, I wasn't fortunate enough to just be able to use a pure oil on my face. And so that's why it's formulated as a lotion because, and these lotions include some non-comedogenic oils. I'm a huge fan of metafoam seed oil for one reason, because it, well, it's extremely skin beneficial. It's one that's not heard of very often because it has, I feel like it's relatively new, if you will, to the area of skincare is similar to jojoba. However, it's got an even longer fatty acid chain than jojoba oil. And just when you, when you do some like, I've got, I pulled up a couple papers basically where people have used it versus another product. And it is so much more skin soothing or skin smoothing, I should say, just in the appearance of, of their skin. The other reason that I love it is because it's actually made in America. It's grown in the Pacific Northwest. That's where it's harvested. So this is another reason why I love it. I'm, I mean, I'm a huge fan of argan and tamano and some of these really exotic oils. The thing with those, because Rain Organica is also very sustainability minded. And so my, I just think about the impact of shipping those across the world, basically from the other side of the world to here, to make the products. And for that reason, Metaform seed oil, because it's, it's just to the North of me is one of the reasons I love using that one so much. Um, yeah, I was hoping you would talk about that one because when I read it, I had, that was when I had to look up, I'm like, this sounds really cool, but I have no idea. what. It is. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And so one more thing that I, I really wanted to talk with you about today, because we, 
we had you as our, our, our guest of honor speaker in a clubhouse room recently where you talked about sunscreen and you have your own, um, I don't want to call it the wrong, like sun protectant type product, if that's politically correct. Um, it's a, an antioxidant spray. And you brought up some really interesting things that I didn't know about FDA regulations regarding sunscreen. You taught us the difference between sunscreen and an antioxidant spray. And I was just wondering if you could share a little bit of that with our listeners, because like you blew my mind with this information and I would love for, for you to, to speak about it. Sure. So sunscreens are over-the-counter drugs. And for that reason, they have an SPF factor, that sun protective factor. And it's also the reason why when you when you pick up a sunscreen bottle and you pick up a bottle that contains antioxidants, on this bottle of sunscreen you read protects from UV rays. And on the bottle containing antioxidants you read protects from the effects of UV rays. Because sunscreens are regulated as over-the-counter drugs by the FDA and antioxidants or not antioxidants fall into the cosmetics and, and skincare products. And so skincare, with skincare, you have to be very careful about how you label things and how on like the language on your label, because you can get into trouble with the FDA in a hurry by stating things incorrectly on a cosmetics label. So I, I know it's often said that FDA does not regulate the cosmetics industry. The FDA does regulate the cosmetics industry. It just looks completely different than it does for drugs and for food. So for drugs, you have this pre-approval and for cosmetics, you don't, but the FDA still regulates the industry. Now for sunscreens and antioxidants, basically the difference is a sunscreen is supposed to sit on the surface of your skin and it's supposed to either physically block the sun's rays. So that would be in the case of titanium dioxide or zinc oxide. And so with that, you can just think about the person with the white nose that, you know, with the sunscreen slathered on the <laughs> nose and the UV rays hit that layer and then bounce off. So that's how a physical sunscreen works. How a chemical sunscreen works is it sits on the surface of your skin and the UV rays hit it. And then they react with the, the UV filter is the technical name for the chemical sunscreen ingredient. And then how an antioxidant works is antioxidants are actually in your skin. So they're, they're either within your skin cells or they're in that extracellular matrix, but in the living layer of your skin. And then when a UV ray penetrates into your skin and creates free radicals or other reactive oxygen species, they hit the antioxidant and actually react with the antioxidant. And in that way, the antioxidant itself is absorbing the energy from those free radicals and from those reactive oxygen species and rendering it powerless so that it's not able to do damage to your DNA or to like your collagen and elastin fibers. So <laughs> that's the difference between um, how a sunscreen works and how antioxidants work. And then regarding what is going on with sunscreens right now, the FDA has reclassified. So basically in America, there are 16 allowed sunscreen ingredients. And of those, FDA is reclassifying 14 of them. It's crazy. Yes, it is. So two of them, they're removing the grass status from. And so grass in the case of an over-the-counter drug stands for generally regarded as safe and effective. So the two that they're removing the grass status from are PABA and trolamine salicylate. From the other 12 chemical sunscreens, they're saying that companies have to demonstrate that they are safe and effective before they can put it on market. And mm -hmm. we're, so the FDA hasn't released yet when they're going to mandate this and make it necessary for companies to comply with this is supposed to be after this summer sometime when they make the statement of when they're going to have to be compliant. So basically that leaves two sunscreen ingredients that are still safe and effective per FDA and then zinc oxide and titanium dioxide, those two physical sunscreens. And with that, yes, there have been 
there's great debate <laughs> and you can find literature on both sides of it. It looks like most likely if those are micronized, they don't, they don't, they aren't able to get into your skin down to the living layers. However, <laughs> I am so, so basically this is where my husband a few years ago developed a process at work where he was using titanium dioxide powder to decolorize a solution. And so what he did, he took this material that basically once it was in solution, it was the color of molasses. And then he would dump titanium dioxide powder into it, stir it up, hit it with UV light, leave it. You come back about five days later and the solution is colorless. So it goes from molasses to colorless. And what was happening was the UV light was hitting the titanium dioxide, creating free radicals. <laughs> and then that was destroying the colorant within that material and rendering it colorless. I saw that and I freaked out. I was like, so this is what happens when we wear sunscreen. And he's like, if it gets, he said it is. <laughs> and I, and then I was like, okay. So if it gets into my skin, this is what's happening in my skin. And he said, yes. But again, a sunscreen is supposed to sit on the surface of your skin. However, this freaked me out so bad. I, I stopped wearing, like, I wouldn't wear micronized sunscreen at all after that. In addition, I stopped wearing makeup because makeup contains titanium dioxide and iron oxides. Now there's something particular about titanium dioxide and I don't remember what it is exactly, but it's something about the energetic factor. I, I'd have to ask him again, honestly. So iron oxides may not, may not do the same thing. However, we don't know the, we don't know the particle size of titanium dioxide used in our makeup. It's not disclosed. The particle size of iron oxides used in our makeup is not disclosed. And here we are putting this stuff on our skin all the time. So I stopped wearing makeup after that point too. And what I've, I've continued to develop more and more aversion to even physical sunscreens just based on, I mean, cause this was compelling this, I mean, it was compelling and terrifying to see it and continued to move further and further away from wanting to even use a sunscreen at all. And so I've started using antioxidant sprays instead. And I'm a huge proponent of just being sure to wear protective clothing. And with that, you don't have to wear stuff that's UPF rated. You can just wear a long sleeve shirt. It, it doesn't have to be anything fancy and you don't have to spend a bunch of money on it. Just put that on. And again, I use that in conjunction with the antioxidant spray. And that's one of the reasons I started offering the antioxidant spray. Yeah. Wow. I mean, just there's so many gems of information that you just shared. I took, I think an entire page of notes that is just, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. Sorry. I take a minute to process things like this. It's just, it kind of is like how, where can we put our trust? Is it kind of what it makes me feel like? Like why was a product, you know, like there, one of two things happened. Either this was knowingly put on the market, reacting the way that it does, or it was unknowingly put on the market, reacting the way it does. Well, now to be fair, sunscreens are supposed to sit on the surface of your skin. They're not supposed to penetrate into your skin. The, one of the reasons FDA is okay. reclassifying all of those chemical sunscreens is because they now it's been demonstrated the FDA. So this is something that I didn't know this until I, I got into the world of skincare and until I, and especially after I decided to launch rain organica is just how much the FDA does do. I mean, it's amazing because yes, like we often there they're kind of our favorite whipping boy, but at the same time, it's, it's kind of amazing what they're actually doing that we don't see. Um, so just for instance on this, there's a ton of, of scientific literature available, peer-reviewed journal articles on looking at 
chemical sunscreens actually crossing into your skin, getting into your bloodstream, like penetrating deep enough, absorbing deep enough to get into your bloodstream. The FDA felt there wasn't sufficient evidence, so they went and conducted their own study. And it was one that they published, it's actually been a couple of years ago, they published it in the Journal of American Medical Association back in May, I believe it was May of 2019. And in that study, and this was actually conducted by the FDA, they took four avobenzone formulations, and avobenzone, of course, is a sunscreen ingredient mm-hmm. or a UV filter, and they had six people in each group apply one of those four um, products to their skin daily, and then they drew blood samples, and they looked for avobenzone, and they found it. So from that, FDA was like, okay, we got to do something here, and then it, it there must have been enough literature available for the remaining 11 ingredients for them to, or, well, I guess it's 13 ingredients for them to be like, okay, hold the phone. We've got to, we've got to backtrack. We've got to do something because these chemicals really are um, penetrating into the bloodstream and they're not supposed to, they're supposed to sit on the surface of the skin. So And with titanium dioxide and zinc oxide, that is also true. And because those are, so the chemical, kind of the difference between the chemical sunscreens is that they're in solution. They're fully dissolved in whatever you're putting on. So it's it's a lot easier for those to get into the skin. With the physical sunscreens, they're actually particles. And so they could be big particles, they could be little particles. And this whole idea of micronizing is to believe the particle size is less than 200 nanometers, which is pretty small. And that's just to get rid of that white cast because nobody's a big fan of walking out looking like a ghost in the middle of the summer. Yeah. (laughs) However, those micronized particles are really the ones, EWG doesn't feel like they're safe. I still am really, I mean, I've, I've read articles on both sides. I, I just, and they can penetrate skin layers. It doesn't look like they're sufficiently penetrating below those outer dead skin layers. Mm. I'm just too, um, I'm, I'm kind of too chicken. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm just too cautious to, I don't want to use that on my skin at the end of the day. I just don't. So I, I found yeah. a workaround. Sure. Yes. And um, I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm starting to navigate that space myself um, as I'm, you know, getting older. When I was a kid, I didn't really have to use sunscreen too much. But now that I'm older and more indoors more, I do. And as you can tell right now, I'm a little burnt because we were at the beach last week. <laughs> and I, I was afraid to put, maybe afraid is a strong word. I was hesitant to, to put on sunscreen and I was just outside a little too long, enjoying myself in the ocean. And, but I also think that, you know, I get burnt once every so many years, that's probably in the long run, not going to be my demise. And so just also being okay with the fact that, okay, this, this, like, you know, it's a cost benefits thing outweighing, you know, what, if I, if I get burnt once every five years, and that's probably the last time I went to the beach was probably five years ago. Um, you know, is that in the long run, what's going to hurt me more? (laughs) So it's kind of a, and I, and, you know, I, and I talk about this on the podcast. I, I also have to reconcile like with my, my health and wellness business, you know, do I remove, like when I'm working with a client or even with myself, do I remove every possible toxin you could like, do we put you in a bubble? Do we make you bubble boy? Or do we make your body strong enough to be able to handle the toxins that may come your way? Because you have to, like, it's a, it's a quality of life thing. Like at the end of the day, you want that, like you're, you're making decisions about your health so you can have a better quality of life, but to what detriment, like to, at what point did you tip the scale in the wrong direction? And you made all of these choices for better quality of life. And now because you're following the strict regimen, you no longer get to enjoy your life and go out and have fun. So right. it's right. kind of, um, it, it's an interesting, I definitely teeter on both. And I feel like your antioxidant spray is a nice compromise because 
like, no, no, you can still enjoy being in the sun. You can still, you don't have to be afraid that you're getting burnt. You don't have to be afraid. You, you might get a little burnt. You don't have to be afraid about, uh, the chemicals and sunscreens, and you can just kind of take a deep breath and go out in nature. And I've been using it, uh, on my hikes. And I, I mean, it's, I, yeah, it's worked really well for me. I don't know that the beach is a fair test for an antioxidant spray because that is like straight up. You are just like, there's nothing to hide. Like there's no trees in the ocean when you're, when you're in the ocean, there's, there's nothing you can. <laughs> right. So you just have to decide, you know what? I'm going to enjoy being in the ocean today. And that's going to be that. Well, so that is one of the things, both the antioxidant spray and also the day and night lotion are great post sun exposure as well, because they, they have calming ingredients. Those, mm. um, those peptides that I mentioned also work even after sun exposure. So okay. they're, they can still go in and kind of help, you know, clear out the debris and if you will, from exposure that day. I'm totally with you on, and my problem isn't necessarily, well, my biggest problem is all in my mind. It's like, if I, I there's some things that I, I latch onto and I just can't move past. And I mean, this is yet another reason why, um, I started making my own skincare products because just in traveling, I would get so, I would kind of, I'm not one necessarily to be anxious, but I still, before I traveled, I would get anxious. Okay. What can I bring? Can I bring all the stuff that I'm using with me so that I'm not going to break out while I'm traveling, you know, while I'm on mm. vacation. And so this wasn't just kind of circling back around to that acne thing. It was, it was always worrisome when I was, um, when I was going on vacation or something about taking my skincare with me. And I really wanted a super simple routine because I'm not one to, I don't want, who wants to step a 12 step program every morning or every Oh my evening. gosh. Nobody, nobody wants yeah. that. Yeah. Adherence to something like that would like be awful too. Anyways. Like I, I would never like just setting up programs for people. I don't set up programs where it's like, you need to do 37 things a day. Like nobody's ever going to follow that. I even try to limit, like if I'm using supplements, like I try to narrow it down to like two companies because like, I, I don't want you to have to click 18 different sites to grab things. Right. Exactly. So yes, totally, totally with you on that. Totally with you on that. Well, Brandy, so I have information. If you're listening and you're driving, you don't have to take notes. I will share links to where you can reach Brandy in the show notes. Um, her website is rain organica. She's got a great Pinterest account. She's on Instagram and she has a podcast. That's really interesting called the alchemy of things. Um, so I will link all of those things in the show notes. Brandy, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that I just didn't ask you? Uh, we've covered a ton of stuff in, in this episode. I think that's probably, I, th I think that's good for this one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know I had a list of things that I wanted to make sure I asked you about and I made it through that list. So, um, yeah, I thank you so much for, for your time, your energy, your expertise. I mean, every time I listen to you speak, I feel like I come out with a page of notes, like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Now I need to read about this. You're just, you're so crazy knowledgeable. You're so like, you need to be speaking like on a lot of people's podcasts. I hope you're doing that because this information is so important and it needs to get out there. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to educate us. And um, I look forward to continuing to connect with you. Same here. Thank you so much for having me, Stephanie. This has been great. And yes, I love your podcast. I'm constantly, <laughs> a new episode drops and I'm on there. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you. Well, thank you for tuning into my chat. I hope you learned something today that you can apply to your own skincare and maybe even your own self-care routine. We chatted about the root causes of acne, your skin's six main needs, how we got the exfoliation piece wrong, the biases of Western medicine that we have to let go of if we really want to heal our skin, how safe skincare products 
what they actually look like, um, how you can take control over your skin and why the FDA is reclassifying 14 of the 16 currently generally regarded as safe ingredients. I have links to rain organica in the show notes, as well as links to the alchemy of things podcast and Brandy's Instagram. If you're on my email list or you're part of my Facebook community, you know that I'm sharing non-toxic gift ideas for you and your family. Each week, I'm sharing one to two products that are non-toxic and also come from small and sustainable businesses. If you want the scoop, just reach out through email or you can Facebook me or you can direct message me on Instagram and I'll make sure that you get those items. If you enjoyed today's episode, hit the subscribe button and new episodes will land in your library as they come out. You don't have to search for them. Or you can leave a rating and review. Those really help to boost visibility and on the podcast platforms. Next episode, I'm going to sit down with Dr. Microbiome himself, Dr. Mahamud Ghanoum. We chat all things gut health, and he even dives into the microbiome's role in combating depression during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, really fascinating conversation, and you, I really don't want you to miss it. Okay, friends. Time to head back out into the real world. All right, everyone, be well and be kind. <laughs>